Production. Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink. Welcome to Chris DeGenier on Talk Show. Tonight is Friday, April 20th, 2012. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. Tonight is um, Adolf Hitler's birthday. We're going to have a program tomorrow on Christogenia Saturdays in, in, um, in, in commemoration of that. And I will be here with Carolyn Yeager, Sword Brethren, and Severus. And, and that should be fun. That, that should, we, we're going to have a good time. And, and the gist of the program, and, and this is important, I, I know that it's not really, it's not anti-Christian to celebrate birthdays. It's not Christian necessarily to celebrate, uh, to celebrate birthdays. The Bible's silent on the topic. Yes, Herod the Edomite celebrated his birthday. But I'm using this for a greater purpose. My, my intent is to illustrate that Adolf Hitler, demonized by the Jews, when, when somebody's demonized by the Jews, we should look at them twice. Adolf Hitler, if we inspected the real Adolf Hitler, he was fighting our fight. And we should recognize that. He gave his life for his nation, and, and that's the Christian commandment, to devote, not, not necessarily to die or, or to do anything rash, but to devote your life to your nation and your people. Adolf Hitler certainly set that example and, and did what he thought he had to do to save his nation from Satan. And he lost. But in the end, I'm sure he'll have his reward in heaven. We are going to prevail. So I hope you join us tomorrow night. It'll be a fun program. Tonight, part two of the prophecy of Joel. One facet of this presentation of Joel to recall from last week, which certainly shall be expounded upon here, is that the prophecy of Joel is applicable to both the time when Joel wrote and to the time of the great and the terrible day of the Lord, as the King James text says at Joel 2.31. It was seen then, last week, that this interpretation of Joel is recognized and accepted even by mainstream commentators. The Thomas Nelson Study Bible says in this regard, as I quoted last week, Two events are compared to the course of Joel's prophecy. The locust plague upon Judah in the days of the prophet, and the far greater coming day of the Lord, the later is set forth, and this is important that they make this recognition, the later is set forth in the figure of the former. This admission of the nature of Joel's prophecy is not only true, but to me, it is also amazing that it is made by a mainstream source, since they would never admit the implications if they were indeed aware of them. That is because the locusts of Joel are not locusts. But as it was established here last week in an examination of Joel's prophecy, they represent people. And just as it was people who devoured the substance of Israel in ancient times, so it is today. And it is important that we can identify who these people are. As we proceed with the second part of this presentation of Joel, we will discuss that at great length. I would want to know 
if I was reading Joel, I would want to know if I was a canker worm or a palmer worm. And if I wasn't, I would want to know who the canker worms and the palmer worms are. And, and we shall see. Here we shall begin with the later part of Joel chapter 2. And even though we discussed um, Joel chapter 2.19 and, and the subsequent verses last week from the angle of, of the necessity for our repentance, for our putting away of all of the sin that we engage in, tonight we will compare those same verses with Ezekiel chapter 38, as I had promised last week. Then we will compare other sim similar biblical prophecies to these verses and, and as we proceed through the rest of the prophecy of Joel. In ancient Palestine, the invading armies were generally from the north, and therefore they are described in that manner here in Joel 2.20. The national health of Israel and Judah were devoured first by the Canaanites and Hittites and then later by the invading Assyrians and Babylonians. That is the interpretation of the prophecy for Joel's own time. However, we have seen that Joel's prophecy also has applicability in the great and terrible day of the Lord, which Christians watch for here in this time. It is evident now that this day is upon us, and it has been for some decades, though it is something that most of us have not recognized. We shall begin with Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, from the King James Version of the Bible. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is, uh, is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breast of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever endeavor. For a thousand years in Christian Europe did the true people of God prevail over the Jew, who collectively is Satan or the adversary. The Jew had plotted against Christianity and the people of Europe from the time of Christ. And, and actually, while the people of Europe were in Mesopotamia and the Levant, the Jew plotted against them as the Canaanites and Kenites and Edomites for thousands of years before that. If Old Testament history were truly understood, one would see that. Upon the emancipation of the Jew in the early days of Napoleon, instigated by the French Revolution, the Jew became free and equal citizens of Christians in Europe. From that time, Satan has used the false ideals of liberty, equality, and fraternity as they manifest themselves in one form or another to gather all of the world's hominid beasts into Christian lands where they are hostile both to Christianity and to the white race which are the true people of God. It might start out sounding nice. It might start out with Pedro, the poor migrant worker, 
Oh, look at how hard Pedro works. And then 20 years later, you have La Raza marching on your white suburbs, demanding your, your, your land for their own. That's exactly what's happened. It might happen with Mr. It, it might start out with, with, with Sammy Davis Jr. Or, or with Mr. Bojangles or with some Jew in blackface making silly jokes. But 20, 30 years later, you have the new Black Panther Party wanting to destroy white people simply because they're white, because they feel oppressed by whites. Because if they don't have all your daughters and all your property, you're oppressing them. That's how Negroes think. They are beasts. It might start out with good intentions. Oh, look at the cute little colored boy. He can dance and sing. And 20 years later, he's marching on Washington with civil rights signs and demanding your daughter's virginity. That's where we are today at Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. Now to read from Joel chapter 2, which is a promise of deliverance. From Joel 2.19, Yeah, Yahweh will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I, will make no, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army, and I will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face towards the east sea, and his hinder part towards the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for Yahweh will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. In Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, we see a description of events comparable to both this part of Joel chapter 2 and to the passage from Revelation chapter 20, which we just read. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 8, we see the same Gog and Magog gathered against the children of Israel that are described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Ezekiel 38, 8 tells us that this describes a time afar off from Ezekiel's own time. And it says, after many days thou shalt be visited. In the later years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword that is gathered out of many people. This is the prophecy, and we'll repeat it later, to Gog and Magog. It's speaking to Gog and Magog. In the later years, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have, always, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them until Gog and Magog come up against us. Ezekiel 38.12 says that these beast armies would come against the mountains of Israel to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. It can be established that the white nations of northern Europe and America had at one time in Ezekiel's day, those lands which they inhabit now, always been 
waste, but were now inhabited in Ezekiel's time. Northern Europe had only been settled by white peoples who originated in the Mediterranean and the Near East in the centuries leading up to and following Ezekiel's own time. It was desolate for many centuries before that. North America also had been desolate, uncultivated, and undeveloped until whites came from Europe. The people of these white nations today represent the people gathered out of the nations of our Adamic race as those nations existed in Ezekiel's time. This is describing the peoples of Northern Europe and America. In Joel, we see that the Northern army was compared to a locust plague, the army that was set against the children of Israel in Joel's time. In Ezekiel 38.9, it says of Gog and Magog and their armies that they would ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. In Joel 2.20, Yahweh promises deliverance from these armies, where he says, but I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he has done great things. In Ezekiel, we see the same promise of deliverance outlined in chapter 39. And, in, and Yahweh says in verse 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hamangog. It shall stop the noses, because as we see in Joel, his ill savor, his stink shall come up. The Valley of Hamangog is the same Valley of Jehoshaphat of Joel 3.12, the Valley of Decision of Joel 3.14. All of these merely represent the idea of Yahweh's judgment against these hominid beasts. And there's a reason why I am calling them that, and, and we will get to that. Joel 2.23 be glad, then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in Yahweh your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the later rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. As evidenced in part one of this presentation, the former reign was that Spirit of God which the apostles and all those who turned to Christ received at the Pentecost after the resurrection of Christ. Now Christians await the later reign. The former reign was that deposit, that deposit which marks an assurance of our deliverance in the later. Verse 25 here promises a recovery from the great army which Yahweh sent among us. Here we see that just as so often happened in Old Testament Israel, it is a trial from God that all of the world's hominid beasts have flooded into our lands 
and are devouring our children and our substance as we breathe this very moment. That does not mean that we have to like it. And we are told, we're told that we would not like it. From the consequences of our disobedience, found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, at verse 32, I quote, Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people, and thine eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long. There shall be no might in thine hand. And verse 41, Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them. For they shall go into captivity. All thy trees and fruit of thy land shall the locust consume. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. And that's where we are today. Isaiah chapter 56, verses 8 through 12, speaks of the regathering of dispersed Israel. And I quote, Yahweh God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. All ye beasts of the field come to devour. All ye beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yeah, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, they say. I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. In ancient Israel, as evidenced in the prophets and the historical books, it was the political and religious leaders of the nation who led the nation into sin. Yahweh gathers us, and our political leaders and priests do not guard the flock. Rather, they care more for their own well-being and allow the flock to be overrun with beasts. That's the story in Isaiah 56. As it was in ancient Israel, so it is today. Now Yahweh tells us that that he sent this great army among us for which to chastise us. But when we examine our history, we see that we as a people have not resisted our leaders when they did those things, those things which allowed our nation to be overrun, and therefore we cannot blame God. The priests and pastors preach universalism, multiculturalism, and diversity from the pulpits, and no man resists them. The government dictates these things, and no man marches on the capitals. We have accepted as a nation and often agreed to all of this sin, and therefore God cannot be blamed. Only we as a people are to blame. Jeremiah chapter 31 also foretells these things, and I quote from verse 27, Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man, and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like, I, that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict with the seed of beasts, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith Yahweh, 
In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. The sour grapes are defined in Deuteronomy 32.32, where speaking of a nation void of counsel, it says, For their vine is the vine of Sodom, and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter. And from this it is evident that the sour grapes are acts of adultery, fornication, and the other sins of ancient Sodom and Gomorrah. Yahweh foresaw the sins of Esau. He knew, they would, he knew they would occur. He knew they were going to happen. And therefore, he hated Esau from the womb, even before he was born, because he knew what Esau would do. Yet, examining the story of Esau, Esau did those things of his own accord. Esau agreed to those sins. Yahweh knew he was going to make them. And therefore, the blame cannot be placed on God. That is our example for today. That is the patience of Job. And that is where we find our lesson in this life. Yahweh has sent all of these beasts among us for our chastisement. Those of us who accept the sin shall be punished in it. But we have a promise of restoration. These other races who have flooded our lands and who are devouring our substance, these are the beasts of Isaiah 56. These are the beasts of Jeremiah 31. These are the armies of Gog and Magog and the many people with them of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. These are the Negro, the Mestizo, the Arab, and the Asian. These are the cankerworm, the palmer worm, the locust, and the caterpillar, which in the permissive will of Yahweh has been brought here by Satan, has been brought here by the Jew to flood our lands in our sin for our punishment. And that's where we stand today. There are some even some, and this is incredible to me, there are some Christian identity pastors that want to see these beasts as fellow men, imagining that they were created as they are by God, and even to give them credit as other races, which actually gives them a promotion, imagining them to be somehow people is sin unto itself. It leads us into the greater sin of accepting them even though God knows that it was inevitable that we would do so. And we have done so. And that is to our discredit. Peter speaks of the non-Israelites who would infiltrate our congregations. And he says of them at 2 Peter 2.12, and I quote, But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. That's the Apostle Peter's opinion of the non-Israelite races. Jude speaks to them likewise at verse 10 of his epistle. And then in verse 12 he says, These are spots in your feasts of charity, 
when they feast with you, seating themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withers, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. That's what Jude thinks about non-Israelite people. And likewise at 2 Peter 2.13 and 14, Peter says, And they shall receive the reward of, unrighte- the reward of unrighteousness, as they that counted pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Everything that the bastards and the aliens among us do is sin. These are the Negro, the Mestizo, and the Arab, and the Asian. And they were all brought here by Satan. These are the canker worm, the pommel worm, the locust and the caterpillar. And, as I have translated Jude 19, the apostle says, these are those making divisions, animals, not having the spirit. If you don't have the spirit which God gave to Adam, you're an animal. You're never going to be anything else. It is disgraceful to accept them among us. And they are devouring our substance and our children. Yet here in Joel, as in the other prophets, we have a promise of full restoration from Yahweh our God. And we also have a future without these beasts. Joel 2.26. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of Yahweh your God that has dwelt, I'm sorry, that has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am Yahweh your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. From the ASV, and I quote the ASV because it treats the word for nations properly. From the ASV, from Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 21 through 29. And I quote, And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am Yahweh their God from that day forward. And the nation shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. Because they trespassed against me, and I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries. Revelation 17, 17. Our kingdom would be handed over to the beasts after the thousand years were fulfilled. And they fell, all of them, by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions did I unto them, and I hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says Yahweh God, Now will I bring back the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. 
and they shall bear their shame and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they shall dwell securely in their land and none shall make them afraid. When I have brought, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, and they shall know that I am Yahweh their God, and that I caused them to go, to go into captivity among the nations, and have gathered them into their own land, and I will leave none of them any more there, neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord Yahweh. By the nations, Ezekiel can only be understood to mean the other Adamic nations of the Oikumene, including those of Israel, since much of Israel was already dispersed and had developed into many nations by the time when he wrote. We see in Ezekiel that same promise of the destruction of our enemies and the restoration of our people, which we have here in Joel. This is the true Christian promise. As we see in the New Testament, in Luke, in verses 71, I'm sorry, 72 through 75 of the first chapter, where Zechariah declared the purpose of redemption for Israel. And he said that it was to bring about mercy with our fathers and to call into remembrance his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, which is given to us, being delivered fearlessly from the hands of our enemies to serve him in piety and in righteousness before him for all of our days. Joel 2.28 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. We see in both Ezekiel and in Joel that the promise of the later reign of the spirit, marking our full restoration, does not come until the time of the destruction of our enemies. By all flesh here, the word of God can only mean all Adamic flesh, which is evident from reading Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 through 3. And I quote, Yet now hear, O Jacob my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus saith Yahweh that made thee and formed thee from the womb, who will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob my servant, and thou, Jesu run, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. Here we see in Joel 2.28 that all flesh is qualified by your sons and your daughters and your old men and your young men. It means your sons of Israel and your daughters of Israel and your old Israelite men and your young Israelite men. 
and the Israelite servants and the Israelite handmaids. All flesh generally means all of those of the Adamic spirit who are inhabiting the flesh. This is also evident at Genesis chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, and I'll quote, And Yahweh looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Since the scriptures make it quite clear that there were Kenites and Rephaim, and other people who were not destroyed in the flood and who were not on the ark, then those other peoples cannot fall into the category of all flesh. And therefore, an understanding of the term must be governed by the context of Scripture, in spite of the fact that on occasion the term is used to describe the flesh of beasts as well as man, such as in Genesis chapter 9. Let's read Numbers chapter 16, verse 22. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? Numbers 27, 16. Let Yahweh, the God of spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Isaiah 49, 26. And I will feed them that oppress thee, with their own flesh. So we see that the Spirit of God shall not be poured out upon them, but only the wrath of God. And they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh, all Adamic flesh, shall know that I, Yahweh, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. After those that oppress us get fed with their own flesh. Yahweh is the God of all flesh. However, the only flesh he is truly concerned with are those fleshly vessels, which contain his spirit, those vessels which are his sons and daughters, those vessels of our Adamic race. Yahweh, in the prophecy of Isaiah, makes no promise of beasts receiving the spirit, but only man, and of men, only the children of Israel. Here in Joel, we cannot expect the context to exceed the bounds of that already defined understanding. Therefore, Christ says in John chapter 3, that unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of God. He won't see it as a beast. He won't see it as a slave. He won't see it as a subject or any of the other vain imagination, vain imaginings of certain people that call themselves Christian identity pastors, unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven at all. If one's name is not written into the book of life, which is the gospel promise, then it's off to the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. There are certain so-called Christian identity pastors that want to label myself and, and Clifton Emmerheiser, and we're labeled now the dynamic duo of death is the label that they have for us now since we teach these things. 
I'm teaching the scripture, and those people are denying the scripture. Those people are lovers of the world. They're not teaching the scripture. That man that coined that phrase concerning Clifton and I on his website, he is an antichrist. His words prove it. He denies the word of the Bible. He denies the word of God. He twists it and perverts it to make room for aliens, beasts, cankerworms, palmer worms, locusts, and caterpillars in the kingdom of God. Yahshua Christ said that unless a man is born from above, he shall not see the kingdom of God, John chapter 3, period, in any capacity. Joel chapter 2, verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of Yahweh comes. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17 speak of the judgment of God upon the former Roman Empire, which can be demonstrated from the entire context of the Revelation the coming judgment of God upon the modern world is described by Joel in much the same manner. And here I quote from Revelation chapter 6, And I saw when he opened the sixth seal, and there happened a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the whole moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree being shaken by a great wind casts its unripened figs. And the heaven departed as the scroll being rolled, and every mountain and island had been moved from their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the wealthy men, and the powerful men, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall upon us, and hide us from the face of him sitting upon the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? In Revelation chapter 6, it's evident, as I presented in my series on the Revelation, that the sun and the moon represented the governments and administrations of the empire. The stars which fell from heaven onto the earth were the children of God, who, in Revelation chapter 6, had brought destruction upon the empire. That rock cut out of the mountain without hands, the Gothic and the Germanic, the Vandalic tribes. Joel 2.32 And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of Yahweh shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as Yahweh has said, and in the remnant whom Yahweh shall call. From Revelation chapter 18, And I heard another voice from out of heaven saying, You come out of her, my people, that you should not partake in her errors, and that you would not receive from of her wounds, because her errors have built up as far as heaven, and Yahweh has called to mind her injustices. You return to her, as she also had rendered. That's the call. 
we see here in Joel, as Yahweh has said, and in the remnant whom Yahweh shall call. Yahweh shall call upon his people at the fall of mystery Babylon, Revelation chapter 18. And when we hear that call, we see in Revelation 18, 6, you return to her as she also had rendered, and you double twice the things according to her works. In the cup which she had mixed, you mixed double for her. And as much as she has magnified herself and lived wantonly, so much you give torment and grief to her. Because in her heart she says that I sit a queen, and I am not a widow, and I have not seen grief. For this in one day shall her plagues come, death and grief and famine, and she shall be burned with fire, because mighty is Prince Yahweh who judges her. We see this call again. In Micah chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, we see the nature of the call spoken of in Joel 2.32. And I quote, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city and shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There shall Yahweh redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Just like Luke wrote the words of Zechariah. Now also many nations are gathered against thee, the canker worms, the palmer worms, the locusts, and the caterpillars, that say, let her be defiled, and let our, let our eye look upon Zion, the canker worms. The beasts, they want to defile the people of God. They're doing that as we speak. Verse 12 of Micah. But they know not the thoughts of Yahweh, neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as sheaves to the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. That's the call we expect. That's the call we're waiting for. That's the call of Micah chapter 2. I'm sorry, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. That's the call in Revelation 18. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto Yahweh and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. That's Micah chapter 4. From Obadiah, verses 15 through 18, we can clarify what is meant in Micah. And I will quote, For the day of Yahweh is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, the holy mountain of God is the children of Israel, so shall all the heathen or all the nations drink continually. Yeah, they shall drink. These are the nations of Gog and Magog 
These are the canker worms and the palmer worms gathered against the children of Israel at the last days. These are the beasts that the children of Israel are sown with in Jeremiah 31. All the nations drinking upon the holy mountain of God as we speak. So shall all the nations drink continually. Yeah, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. The ASV has it. They shall be as though they have never existed. That's the fate of all these other nations that have come against us in the last days. That's the fate of all these alien peoples, if you want to call them peoples, who are sown into all of our white Christian lands. That's Obadiah. Maybe the dynamic duo of death are Obadiah and Micah and not Fink and Emmaheiser. Maybe the man who is claiming this and throwing these slanders at Clifton and I, maybe he's just trying to defraud Christian identity and pervert the word of God. Because that's what Obadiah said. All the non-Israel peoples shall be as though they had not existed. Verse 17. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, but all the other nations will be as though they had not existed. For Yahweh has spoken it. The house of Esau is for the most part the Jew, who has gathered all of these beasts, these beast people against the children of God. So these passages from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, Joel is called the prophet of Pentecost, since Peter is recorded as having said in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21, after the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles, and I quote, Men, Judeans, and all those dwelling in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and hearken to my words, for they are not intoxicated as you suspect. He's referring to the men, the apostles who received the Spirit, who were speaking in tongues. Indeed, it is the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is as that which was spoken through the prophet Joel, or Joel. And it shall be in the day's future, says Yahweh, I will pour out for my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your youths shall see visions, and your elders shall dream dreams. And then upon my men servants and my maid servants, so we see the Greek is a little different than the Masoretic text. In those days I will pour out from my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall make wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire, and a vapor of smoke. 
the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the coming great day and appearance of Yahweh. And it shall be that all who shall be called by the name of Yahweh shall be preserved. And that's my reading of the Greek, and we see that it does indeed differ somewhat from the Masoretic text. Now Peter, as the other apostles, believed and taught that the coming great day and appearance of Yahweh was imminent in his own time, as Paul also taught. Yet, at a later date, James James seems to have better understood the former and the later reigns, and James admonishes us accordingly in his epistle at James 5-7, and I quote, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the later rain, according to the King James. We must now have patience, for we are awaiting that later rain, the rain of our deliverance. Joel chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days, and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all the nations. This is that gathering in Ezekiel, Gog and Magog gathering all the nations to the four corners of the earth. I will also gather all the nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people, and have given a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Now today we sell our children for crack, right? Here we can date Joel's prophecy. We can date Joel's prophecy here where it says that Yahweh will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Of course, that's very applicable to today. However, such a thing in Joel's time happened only in the time of the Assyrians, who were a part of those great northern armies of Joel's prophecy, who deported all of Israel except for the cities of Tyre and Sidon, and divided the land to other peoples whom they later brought in from elsewhere. And also to the Edomites, which are described as coming into the land by Ezekiel in his 35th and 36th chapters. Tyre and Sidon are known from the Bible to continue until the end of the Babylonian invasion when Tyre was besieged and destroyed. And in the the inscriptions, Tyre and Sidon are said to have paid tribute to the Assyrians in order to escape destruction. So we see in Joel chapter 3 verse 4 that Tyre and Sidon are mentioned, but the rest of Israel is already scattered among the nations 
as we see here in verse 2. And that must be in the Assyrian captivity. Therefore, since we see Tyre and Sidon exist, but Israel is already scattered among the nations, and Joel is making his prophecies to the people of Judah in Jerusalem, we can date Joel. Joel must have prophesied in the period from 676 B.C. to 605 B.C., and Joel must have been prophesying at that time, within that 70-year period, after the Assyrian activity in Palestine had ceased and before the Babylonian conquest of Palestine began. The Hebrew word shafat, which we see here, and, and what we see it in both the word Jehoshaphat, and it is translated as plead in the King James. It's not, Strong's number 8199, and it generally means to judge, to govern, to vindicate, or to punish. Here, it appears in the name of the valley, which is called Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat means Yahweh judges or Yahweh punishes. And it's also translated in the King James as plead, which is archaic English. And here, where it says plead, the word shaphat is also to judge or to punish. The valley of Jehoshaphat where Yahweh will gather the other nations, all the nations that come against Israel, is the Valley of Punishment. It's the Valley of Passengers, and it's also called the Valley of Hamangog in Ezekiel, where all of the armies of Gog and Magog are to be destroyed, which we see in Ezekiel chapter 39. And the children of Israel are employed seven months in their burial. It is all a prophetic allegory for the complete destruction of the non-Israelite hominids of the world who have come against God's people. All of the non-Israel nations of Obadiah 16, where it says that they shall be as if they never existed. Talking about the slave trade. They have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Herodotus, in his second book at chapter 54 and elsewhere, talks at length of the Phoenician slave trade. Amos chapter 1, verse 9, mentions how the Tyrians were selling the children of Judah into slavery. Yet the Greeks themselves and the Romans, long before them the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and many others engaged in the trade of men and children in slavery. It was a fact of life in the ancient world. It was recognized in New Testament scriptures. Of course, that does not make it right. While in the ancient world slavery was overt and it was considered a legitimate practice, today overt slavery is quite rare. There is overt slavery in places that are in full control of the Jews, such as in Tel Aviv, where sex slavery is open and recognized. 
There is overt slavery still engaged in by the savages of Africa, but it's generally not accepted in white nations. Yet, in white nations, we are all slaves of a different sort. And we still sell each other into slavery. When we go into work for corporations today, we give up our rights to free speech. We give up our freedom of association, all for the sake of global trade. And in reality, when we do that, we are slaves. When we allow our sons and daughters to cohabit with aliens for the sake of diversity, peace, and prosperity, we are in reality selling them as slaves. This is every bit applicable to today. We are then deprived of half of our earnings in order to support the imperial agenda of our governments. And we are, in reality, slaves. Our people are deceived into thinking that they have liberty. And today, in this global commercial system, they are more enslaved than ever, and they do not even see their own shackles. Joel 3, 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. Yeah, and what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Palestine? Will you render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? The people of Tyre and Sidon it can be shown from Ezekiel's chapters 26 through 28 and, and in many other places. The people of Tyre and Sidon were indeed Israelites who had Canaanites and Philistines and other peoples among them. Yet regardless of the composition of the people, these cities represented the merchant world of Joel's time. And so they were singled out for the same things that the merchant corporate world of today can be judged for, the making of slaves and whores out of the children of God. Verse 5, because you have taken my silver and gold and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things, the children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Greeks that you might remove them far from their border. And the word Greeks or Grecians, as it reads in the King James Version, is wrong here. It should never be Greeks. In both the Hebrew and in the Greek Septuagint, the word is Ionians. Here I'm going to read Amos 1.9. And Ionians are one tribe of the peoples generally known as Greeks, right? But there are other tribes which were Israelites, the Dorians and the Danans. Here the Hebrew word says that they were sold to the Ionians. Here's Amos 1.9. Thus saith Yahweh, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold, they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. Those words are important in this, in, in this castigation of Tyre. Amos 1.9 establishes that the people of Tyre and Sidon were Israelites, partakers of the brotherly covenant with Judah. But remembering it not, they were selling the people of Judah into slavery to the Edomite merchants. 
in Amos, and here in Joel, to the Jephethi Ionians. They were also practicing paganism, bringing the silver and gold into their, their pagan temples. As it is evident in Scripture that the children of Israel were practicing paganism from the days of Jeroboam, as it says in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 29, Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from them. To wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. Today, our own fellow countrymen sell us into slavery every day, and most notably through anti-nationalist corporate policies and through corporate lobbying in our seats of government. It's a fact of our life, and we have to begin to recognize it. Behold, verse 7, I will raise them out of the place whither you have sold them and will return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabians, to a people afar off, for Yahweh has spoken it. One reaps what one sows. The children of Israel who abused those of Judah would be made to suffer likewise. Today we see the children of our upper and middle classes, those people who have sold our nation out to our enemies, and their children are in bed with our enemies, and that is their recompense. You reap what you sow. Joel, Joel chapter 3, verse 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles or among the nations. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves round about. Tither, cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Yahweh. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of the judgment of Yahweh. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. This is that gathering to battle of all the world's other peoples against the children of Israel, as we have seen represented in Ezekiel Chapter 38, and I quote, And the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophecy against him, and say, Thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. And I will bring thee forth in all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Yahweh is prophesying against Gog and Magog and all of the associated peoples. 
He brings them here into, into Israel lands so that he may destroy them and demonstrate his might and the efficacy of his will to the children of Israel. It can be demonstrated that while this list of people at one time represented white nations, today they are all mixed with non-whites. And that now it represents the Arab, the mixed Negro, the mixed Asian, and the Mestizo populations of the world, mostly under the banner of Islam. Further on in the same chapter of Ezekiel, at verse 16, And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the later days. This has never happened until this time that we, as a people, have allowed ourselves to be overrun by our enemies as a cloud. And it shall be in the later days, and I will bring thee against my land, this is Yahweh speaking, that the heathen, or that the nations, may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus saith Yahweh God, Are thou he whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them? And, and this reference, the, the closest reference is to the Leviathan of Isaiah 27.1, and I'll quote that passage. And that day, Yahweh, with his soaring great and strong arm, shall punish Leviathan the piercing serpent. Even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Ezekiel 38.18 And it shall come to pass, at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, saith Yahweh God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him or against Gog and all his multitudes, throughout all my mountains, saith Yahweh God, every man's sword shall be against his brother, speaking of the enemy, and I will plead or hold judgment against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain and hailstones, great, and fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. All of those peoples, and, and this is portrayed in Ezekiel as a military invasion, but it's not portrayed that way in Jeremiah or in Isaiah or in Joel. And, and, and that doesn't mean that Ezekiel's wrong, and that doesn't mean that we're not going to suffers some sort of military invasion before the end of time. But we're already surrounded by our enemies. We're already being devoured 
by the canker worms and the palmer worms and the locusts and the caterpillars. They already have many of our sons and our daughters. They already have much of our property handed over to them by our own government. We've already been defeated. And our people don't even know there's a war going on. All of those people who have come against the children of Israel shall indeed be destroyed. That's the message of Obadiah, of Micah, of Jeremiah, and here in Joel. All of them shall indeed be destroyed. That's the message of Ezekiel. That's the message of the Revelation. Yahweh and Yahshua, the dynamic duo of death. Anybody who disputes that must be a Jew. Only the enemies of God would dispute all of those witnesses in his word. Joel 3.13 is reminiscent of the harvests of the earth described in Revelation chapter 14. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. There it is, the valley of God's judgment. For the day of Yahweh is near in the valley of decision, the valley of Hamangog, where Ezekiel says it'll take us seven months to bury their bodies. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. As already described here, it is evident in Revelation chapter 6 that the darkening of the sun and the moon suggests the fall of empire and the dissolution of government and the rule of law. In the Revelation commentary given here some months ago, it was said that the changes in sun and the moon represent the passing of the government and its bureaucracy. The children of Israel are often compared to the stars of heaven. But here, they withdraw their shining, representing the fall or withdrawal of many men occupying the seats of power and authority in government. Revelation chapter 14 prophecies the harvest of the earth in a much later period. There are two harvests in Revelation chapter 14. The first harvest is of the parched vine where it says, and the King James mistranslates this, where it says in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 16, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And he sitting upon the cloud, like a son of man, having upon his head a gold crown, and in his hand a sharp scythe. And another messenger came out from the temple, crying out with a great voice to him sitting upon the cloud, Swing your scythe and reap because the hour to reap has come, because parched is the harvest of the earth. And he sitting upon the cloud cast his sky upon the earth and harvested the earth. I see that as the harvest of the tares in Matthew chapter 13. The second harvest in Revelation 14 is the harvest of the ripe vine from verses 17 through 20. And I quote, And another messenger came out from the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sky. 
And another messenger came out from the altar, he having authority over the fire, and uttered with a great voice to him, having the sharp scythe, saying, Swing your sharp scythe, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, because ripe are her grapes. And the messenger cast his scythe to the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great wine vat of the wrath of Yahweh. This is the testing of God's people. And the wine vat was trampled outside of the city, and blood came out from the wine vat, as high as the bridles of horses for a thousand six hundred stades. We must wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. Judah has not been delivered since the days of Joel. Joel wrote this prophecy, and Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Therefore, it is evident that this tribulation which we see described by Joel, covers the entire seven times of Israel's punishment. Leviticus 26.18 And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. These seven times had not yet started in Joel's time pertaining to Judah. The tribulation is to culminate at the end of days leading up to the great and terrible day of Yahweh. However, this tribulation has lasted ever since the deportations of the children of Israel and Judah when it began. We as Christians await the culmination of these events now because our land certainly needs that cleansing which God has promised us. Joel 3.16 Yahweh also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But Yahweh will be the hope of his people. Yahweh will be the hope of his people. And the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am Yahweh your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall no more strangers pass through her anymore. From the King James Version, Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 1. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up, from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. Seems like five of the six parts of those nations gathered against us will be in our lands. And will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the flesh, and, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. And thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith Yahweh God. And I will send a fire upon Magog, and upon and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. 
so will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen, or the nations, shall know that I am Yahweh, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith Yahweh God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forests, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, as we're told in, in Revelation chapter 18. Pay double to her in recompense for what she has done to you. And rob those that robbed them, saith Yahweh God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers, the valley of decision, the valley of judgment, the valley of Jehoshaphat, on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and they shall bury Gog in all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Ham and Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, they're not getting plane tickets back to where they came from. They may, that they may cleanse the land. Yeah, all the people of the land shall bury them. And it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith Yahweh God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land to bury with the passengers, those who traveled through, those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when they see any man's bone, he shall set up a sign by it till the buries have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamona. They shall cleanse the land. Once the land is cleansed, as Joel says, strangers, aliens, will never pass through again and the land is cleansed only in the complete destruction of all of our enemies. All of those non-white aliens who have infiltrated among us and who have come up against us. That's the scripture. I will never be ashamed of the message of the scripture. It's a shame that certain people in Christian identity are. That's a real shame. Joel 3.18, and it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop down new wine, and the hill shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth out of the house of Yahweh, and shall water the valley of Shittim. The later half of Ezekiel chapter 39 Much like Revelation chapter 19 does, where the wedding supper of the Lamb is described in the devouring of all the enemies of Christ. Here from Ezekiel 39, I'll read from the ASV, from verse 17. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord Yahweh, speak unto the birds of every sort and every beast of the field, 
Assemble yourselves and come together. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. This is described in Revelation chapter 19 as the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's described in much the same way. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and of lambs and of goats and bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat till ye be full and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. And ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men and with all the men of war, says the Lord Yahweh. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am Yahweh their God from that day forward. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me, and I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell, all of them by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions did I unto them, and I hid my face from them. Therefore thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Now will I bring back the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name. And they shall bear their shame and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me. And they shall dwell securely in their land, and none shall make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations. And they shall know that I am Yahweh their God, and that I caused them to go into captivity among the nations, and have gathered them unto their own land, and will leave none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face from them any more. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says Yahweh God. Repeating Joel 3.18, And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of Yahweh, and shall water the valley of Shittim. While the salvation of Yahweh is for all the seed of Israel, for instance, Isaiah 45:25, Joel's prophecy is specifically aimed towards Judah. However, Judah has never seen this salvation since the Babylonian captivity and therefore it must still be expected. However, in Zechariah 12:7, it does state that Yahweh shall save the tents of Judah first. The rivers of Judah and the fountain flowing with waters are the promises much like those found in Revelation chapter 22, where it says in verse 1, And he showed to me a river of life, bright as crystal, coming out from the throne of Yahweh and from the Lamb in the middle of her street, and with the river on the one side and on the other, is the tree of life, producing twelve fruits, one for each tribe, yielding each of its fruits by month, and the leaves of the tree are for the service of the nations, which can never mean anything beyond the context of the Adamic 
nations. And there shall be no longer any curse. And the throne of Yahweh and of the Lamb shall be in her. And his servants shall serve him and shall see his face. And his name is upon their foreheads. And there shall be no longer night. They have not need of light for a lamp and for light of a sun, because Prince Yahweh shall shine upon them, and they shall rule for the eternal ages. So we see the promise at the end of Joel is very much like the promise at the end of the Revelation. Joel 3.19 Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desert, a desolate wilderness. And for the violence against the children of the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land, but Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. Egypt represents captivity. Edom represents the oppression of the children of Israel. Jeremiah chapter thirty verse eleven and Jeremiah chapter forty six verse twenty eight both state this. For I am with thee, this is long after Israel was deported. For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee, though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered thee, yet I will not make a full end of thee. Reading those two passages in Jeremiah, we see that all the nations, wherever the children of Israel were scattered, would come to their end. Where on earth have there not been people of our race? That's what I would ask. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. And of course, the prophetic Jerusalem describes wherever the seat of the government of God's people is found. The last passage in Joel, 3.21. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for Yahweh dwells in Zion. And, and here we could throw the whole book out the window with the interpretations of this verse offered by certain clowns. Many fools might be persuaded to believe that the cleansing of blood in verse 21, may have something to do with people of mixed race. I have actually seen that postured, and that's incredible. It's simply ridiculous considering all of the other statements concerning bastards in the scripture. An honest word study reveals that except on one occasion in the Old Testament where adultery is being condemned, which is in Hosea 4.2, where blood appears in the plural, where the Hebrew word is originally in the plural, and where Hosea says, condemning adultery, that blood touches blood, and, and both of the words are plural there. Wherever blood appears in the plural, everywhere else in the Old Testament, it's a metaphor for bloodshed or blood guiltiness, and Strong's Concordance points that out. Therefore, here in context, blood in verse 21 being in the plural, it must refer to bloodshed, especially since the shedding of blood is the context, is the topic of the discussion in verse 19. 
the bloodshed of the children of Israel shall be cleansed. Likewise, Yahweh promises in Jeremiah 33.8, where he says, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned, and whereby they have transgressed against me. Of bastards, Christ says in Matthew 15.13, that every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up along with the canker worms, the palmer worms, the locusts, and the caterpillars. There shall be no exception. No bastard is born from above, and no bastard is written into the book of life. And all who teach contrary to those scriptures are liars, and they themselves are part of the problem, not part of the solution, not part of the people of God. Thank you for listening tonight. I will be here tomorrow night with Carolyn Yeager, Severus and Sword Brethren, and we will be commemorating Adolf Hitler's 123rd birthday. And to hell with the Jews. We should stop buying into their propaganda. I will be here, Yahweh willing, Next Friday with Clifton Emmerheiser. I will be with Clifton Emmerheiser next week for the first time, and we will be presenting The Battle for the Priesthood, a paper which he recently published on his website at Christagenia. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. Accept the trolls, and good night.